All right, everyone, and welcome to another Devo with Patrick and Jamie. This is uh, this is one of my favorite things we do of the week. I know I've said that before, but it's just great to be able to be in Scripture and to talk about it with uh, with someone who is like minded, and that like mind is our friend Pat. Pat, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, and you know, I think most of the people that listen are probably like minded also. But you know, if you're not and you're listening to this because you are curious, go you. You know, I'm on your team and I am in full support of uh, people, anyone, doesn't matter what you believe listening to this. So, um, you know, continue to listen. I'm encouraging you. That's right. We love uh, having all sorts of ears to hear what's going on in these uh, in these podcasts, in these devos. Um, there's just something encouraging about listening to uh, scripture, hearing it, and jumping in. And so I just appreciate that you went out there to find this devotion and to listen to it. So yeah. thank you. And today we are going to look at Saul's conversion. Mm, all right. Acts chapter 9. Yeah. Now, when I hear the word conversion, you know what first comes to mind? Um, converting ounces into pounds. No. Oh. Um, Take another guess. Okay. One one more guess. Uh, converting inches to centimeters. That's not it either. When I think of the word conversion, I think of back in the 80s, they had these things called conversion vans. Oh. And it was like... Someone took a full-size van and converted it into a living room. It's basically like the way it would work. That is... They put in like shag carpet, right? <laughs> they put in like a couple recliners instead of seats. Oh, yeah. And they'd have like a, a couch in the back that might turn into a bed. So it was a weird thing to have a conversion van. A little odd. Yeah, that is still a thing today. I'm just saying. Okay. Like, I think they've made it a little more hip though, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, there is a guy down the street from where I live who is every day out working on his van and it's the same idea. You know, he's doing it all on his own, making it exactly how he wants it. But you know, the van life is thriving. People love it. So I've even seen people convert giant school buses into big old RVs, which is a little more intense, a little more out there, a little more risky because school buses, you know, they, it's not like they, you get it and it has very few miles on it. And there's probably hundreds of thousands of miles on those things. And they've had kids in them for forever. Oh yeah. (laughs) All the kids are puking and peeing their pants in the school bus and (laughs) But it's still you got to turn that into a place to live. That's rough. Yeah, but it's still happening. It's not just from the '80s. Got it. Okay. Well, you know, when I think of the word conversion, I think of a conversion van, which usually is. It starts out as a boring panel van that's just made for work, and then the next thing you know, it's turned in to a living room uh, <laughs> where life is. So. That's where we're starting at Saul's conversion. This is out of Acts chapter 9, and I'll read this for us today. All right. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Okay, now I'm going to stop you real quick. Uh What a terrifying line. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty I mean, harsh. He went I, murderous threats. I, well, I I see the word breathing, and I think, okay, he probably started at yelling, 
and his his <laughs> voice box went. So then he went to just talking and then maybe whispering and then with whatever might he had left, breathing. <laughs> That's like... Uh, breathe. Yes, breathing <laughs> out murderous threats. Like you know, I've I've I'm able to breathe and able to like breathe out uh, air, uh, <laughs> but I don't know if I breathe out threats. Uh, that, that's pretty high crazy. level murderous threats. To <laughs> yeah, and murderous threats at that is a pretty scary thing here too. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Had to throw that in. No. No. Please. For sure. Um, So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul answered. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind. And did not eat or drink anything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Interesting words from the Lord, but hey, um, thanks be to God. Yeah, if if you thought the Bible was boring, uh, just let you know there's murderous threats going on here. Yeah, murderous threats. So let's set the scene a little bit. So there's this guy Saul. He's he's a smart guy. In fact, he may have been the smartest guy. So think like college level professor not just like a college you know graduate or someone who has a phd this is like the top of the top this is like the smartest guy out there okay on top of that he's also like a church guy all right so he's super smart he's like mr professor he's also like mr churchy church guy like you know he knows everything about there that there is to know about church and doing church the right way um and he is the one who is now hunting down these disciples. So he's like a bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah. Like full on a bounty hunter, right? Yeah. This is what he's doing. So he, he's breathing out murderous threats against these disciples. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the high priest. Now, we know this because when Jesus died, we hear, we hear about this in the Bible, that the uh, the Jewish people, because they were occupied by the Romans were not able to kill someone um, like corporal punishment. Uh, they weren't allowed to actually take someone's life. They So because of that, um, Saul is breathing out murderous threats, but he knows he's not allowed to murder someone. Although he sort of got a group of people to do that when Stephen was killed, uh, which is a story before this. However, we're at this point here where he's like, he wants to kill these people. Yeah. That is how passionately against uh, them he is. So Mm -hmm. instead he does the next best thing. So he goes to the high priest and the high priest was a religious leader. But at this point, the high priest also had like bands of thugs that would work for him. (laughs) Oh man. Right. They're like the guard. 
right? So these are the, these are people who like had clubs and might even like wear armor. They were like tough guys and they would go around in a group. And if the high priest said something, they would make it happen. Yeah. I kind of wish I had a group of guys like that. A group of thugs? <laughs> group of thugs. Like, hey, listen, we need to get some stuff done. You guys are going to, you guys are the muscle. You're going to make it happen. Yeah. So there are, there are this, there are uh, this group, these, you know, they're kind of like the thugs or whatever. And so the high priest could send them. They were the ones who arrested Jesus. He could send them out to do things. Now, um, Saul is going out and he's, he is going out and he's kind of like helping make this stuff happen because <laughs> he feels passionately that the people who are following Jesus are wrong. And they're so wrong, he thinks that it's going to mess with his own belief. It's going to mess with his own religion. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing he can do is put an end to it. So he goes to the high priest and he says, I need some letters. Now, I don't know if I've ever asked for a letter that's like super important, but these are letters that are basically like, like we said, you know, bounty. Yeah, I think the most important letter I've ever asked a government for would be like my birth certificate, a copy of it or copy marriage. Of marriage. Certificate, yeah. Maybe. I guess I've never asked for my birth birth certificate, but I have asked for a marriage certificate and I have done that. So, um, that's a letter, I guess. But, um, yeah. Uh, I like that. He said, it says he asked for letters so that if he found any one who belonged to the way, I love the way the <laughs> describing um, being a follower of Christ as the way. I like that term. It is a good term. It's a, uh, it, yeah, I do like it too. I think anyone belonging to the way. Uh, and back in the seventies, people kind of got into this whole idea. Now the word, the word that is for that, um, that's used for that can mean way or road or path. Hmm. So it could be like the path. So mm -hmm. um, in the seventies, people grabbed onto this idea and they wanted to start going by that people who were following Jesus. And they even made a Bible called the way Bible. Okay. And it's kind of like a seventies, <laughs> like hippie Bible sort of, uh, and it has pictures of people just kind of like hanging out, reading the Bible in the Bible. It's kind of cool. If you ever are at an old bookstore and you see a book that says the way on it, it's an old, it's an old seventies uh, Bible. So check it out. <laughs> um, so Saul's going out, he's trying to find these people so he can take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. And who knows what, the, what's going to happen to them there. I mean, they could be killed. They could be, you know, have the same fate as Jesus. Yeah. Uh, they could easily, I mean, for sure, they could easily be beaten up and flogged and, you know, all sorts of bad stuff could happen to them. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing for someone to protect their own religion or their own uh, way of doing things. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But to go out and hunt down people who are, like, doing the opposite, like, that's crazy. This is, like, next level aggressive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, so, it's so absolutely nuts. And yeah, and so he's 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 coming to this city, to Damascus. He knows there's some believers there, mm -hmm. and he's going to go get them. Mm -hmm. And then something happens. It says, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Yeah. 
like what in the world? And like this is where you have to like you know put on your creativity, imaginative thinking to try to think what in the what could that even mean? A light from heaven flashing around you. I'm thinking of kind of like you know like a, a laser beams flashing around. Um, like something very accurate and specific, right? So there's like lasers going everywhere. Uh, when when you hear this or when you read this, Pat, what do you think? I I think yeah, suddenly a light from heaven, like a a tractor beam from heaven. Oh yeah, okay, God, <laughs> like, yeah, like like aliens coming to abduct you, kind of a kind thing. of like aliens, but like way brighter, way more intense because it's coming from heaven, and it's just yeah. you don't see like a an uh, UFO or anything, but I, I think tractor beams are just so funny. The term and like photos of them, so weird, but you know, they're kind of bright. So that's kind of what I think about tractor beam. I like it. Okay. Yeah. You kind of have to channel your science fiction, uh, <laughs> fantasy brain power to make this happen. But so he's getting, he's going on the road, doing his own thing. All of a sudden, boom, light from heaven flashes around him. That's a little freaky, uh, a little crazy. And then it says he fell to the ground. So maybe that's a natural reaction. I don't know if you've ever fallen to the ground because something scared you or startled you. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I, I, I think I've like flinched before, but I don't know if I've ever fallen all the way to the ground because something was so terrifying. Oh, I have. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. The lightning <laughs> struck an electrical, pa- outside electrical panel, um, very close to a place that I was staying at once. And the sound was so loud. I like, I hit the ground. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great example. Yeah. So you have light and you have, you know, a light that's flashing and, and someone ducking for cover basically. So, you know, here we go. Here's good old Saul doing his deal. Uh, walk in and all of a sudden, bam, he hits the floor and then he hears a voice and the voice is talking to him. And the voice later on, they would, uh, Saul would say, this is Jesus coming to him. He doesn't say this is God coming to him or the Lord or God, the father. He's like, this was straight up Jesus. Um, and, uh, and we see that because he, the voice identifies himself, right? So there's two points of identification that happen here. The first is the voice knows him. Yeah. And says his name twice. Yeah. Yeah. What? And then a big question. Yeah. And a big question. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Yeah. It's it's interesting. I like what happens next. Yeah, me too. So Saul, you know, Saul didn't chicken out and just say, ah, don't kill me and like run away or, you know, he didn't, he didn't say, I'll do whatever you say. He entered into this conversation with this crazy voice. Right. Right. Yeah. Who are you? But he uses the word Lord because uh, he realizes that this voice and this flashing has to be something greater than any person, has to be something greater than uh, just a natural phenomenon. Yeah. This is, has to be God. Uh, so who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And then the clarification here, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Mm. And then he gives him something to do. <laughs> now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to, what you must do. 
Yeah. And you know, it, what? it says that there are men traveling with Saul and they stood there speechless. I think why, how come those men, um, didn't hit the ground? You know, how come those men, those men kind of flinched, it seems like, um, it appears that they saw everything happen, but they didn't see anyone. They heard some big sounds. Did they hear the conversation? I don't know, but what was it about? What made it, what made Saul hit the ground and those other men not, which is interesting. Yeah. And you know, is it that the light was closer to him or around him or who knows what it was, right? It was something, something different. And so, so it says that, yeah, that Jesus tells him you got to get up and you got to go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now he was planning to go in the city anyway. So Saul wasn't asked to, you know, turn back, go somewhere else. He's like, nope, you got to come into the city. Uh, go where you were going. I'm going to change your plans, uh, and you'll hear what you have to do. So, yeah, the men are speechless. They, it says here that they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So they're like, this voice came from who knows where. Yeah. So Saul does something. He, he keeps moving. Yeah. He got up from the ground, right? <laughs> but it says when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. Hmm. He could see nothing. So he's blinded. So they had to grab him by the hand like he's a little baby, uh, like a little kid. And they had to take him into Damascus. And it says for three days he was blind. And not only was he blind, but he didn't eat or drink anything. Hmm. It sounds like he was almost forced to enter into a time of discernment. Uh, I would say so, man, for sure. He's got to be saying, what is going on? I'm freaking out. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my marbles. Um, you know, God is doing something, and it seems to be the opposite of what I would expect it to be. Right. But what what's significant about three days, right, is that's the, the number of days Jesus was uh, gone, right? It mm-hmm. took him three days before he was resurrected. And, and we hear that, you know, the, the sign that would be given to the world would be the sign of Jonah, as Jonah was in the fish for three days, so the Son of Man would be uh, gone for three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here, Saul has his own three days of trying to decide or trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and in that time, he, he's limited. He's not taking anything in to eat. He's not able to even take in any kind of a light. Yeah. Um, and he is basically kind of stuck with just hearing some things and being stuck in his own mind and his own thoughts. Now, this was the changing point for Saul. In fact, if we continue down we into the book of Acts and we learn more and more about Saul, God changes his name even to Paul. And Paul would go on to be the missionary of the church. He was the one who went out into the world uh, and, and went as far as Rome uh, and was able to bring the gospel to many people. Uh, he uh, ended up writing the majority of the New Testament more than anyone else. Hmm. The more more of the books are actually the the epistles, the letters from Paul that are written. Yeah, including some really amazing. You know, and a lot of people debate like, well, who actually wrote it? Was it a disciple of him, or was it someone else? But Really, still, the majority of the New Testament, uh, there's no author that's written any more than other than Paul. Um, an amazing person. In fact, someone recently said that Paul is probably the greatest theologian 
uh, Christian theologian to ever live. Kind of undisputed heavyweight theologian. Yeah. And this was his... This was his uh, moment of conversion, his moment of changing, right? Yeah. Um, Where he was trying to lead and kill people, put people into death, God turned it around and gave him new life and gave other people new life. Pretty crazy. Yeah, and you know, I would love to know what he sat and thought about for those three days. Uh, What was going through his mind, you know? Just can't see, not eating. Not drinking, not probably not talking to people, probably not like lounging. You know what I mean? Uh, huge yeah. event, maybe traumatic. Processing that, had to walk, be led by someone else. Um, you know, and a wise guy, like we already said, very smart, probably started putting all a lot of puzzle pieces together and realizing, whoa, like I was doing wrong things, maybe thinking about you know, just in prayer, listening. That's what I would maybe yeah. guess. In trying to, yeah, trying to process this idea that this Jesus person who he is so adamant to disprove or to get rid of is actually really real. And he's going to end up discovering and writing about some of the most important things we know about Jesus yeah. uh, are going to come from his own hand. Um, you know, it, it is even guessed uh, about that later on in his life, Saul would still suffer from um, eye trouble. Oh. Um, that he never fully recovered from this blindness. Wow. Uh, he writes in one of his letters that, you know, I even write this with my own hand. Like, look how large these letters are, basically saying, like, he's not that great at uh, <laughs> at writing anymore. Yeah. Um, because he has a hard time seeing. Some people have guessed he says that he has a thorn in the flesh. Uh, um, and some people have guessed that possibly that thorn in the flesh is his eyesight. And he's, he asked God that God would take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And his weakness was his eyesight. Mm. It could be other things. We don't really know, but that was one guess. So at this moment, this is like the turning point for Saul in his life. And a lot of people, when they hear this story, think about, well, what about me? What about my turning point? Mm-hmm. You know, like why hasn't God flashed in lightning around me yeah. and blinded me and uh, forced me, you know, given me specific instructions? Why? Why not? Why don't I get that? And so, Pat, what would you say to someone who's like kind of questioning that? Like they're like, well, I haven't had uh, a road to Damascus experience like Saul had. Does that mean, you know, my faith isn't real? Or does that mean it's still coming? Or does that mean I'm not enough of a Christian? Like what What do you think you'd tell that person? I would say that your testimony has the power to impact anyone's life. No matter how boring you think it is, if it, you'd never had anything traumatic happen, you're a Christian, you grew up a Christian, like you're, you don't ever remember going to church for a first time because you just grew up in the church. doesn't matter how little... Uh, or how like basic your testimony is, it's powerful for someone. And it's like the, it's the path that God gave you. It's the life that God gave you. And there's something special about it. That's what I, that's what I would say. You don't need to have a big turning point to be a follower of Christ. You don't need to have a big turning point, a big aha moment to share um, how God is at work in your life because God's at work every day. And if, if we can go out and tell one person like, Hey, you know what? God 
um, is working in my life right now. And here's how, even if it's super basic, that's important because to that other person, they might, that might be what they need to accept Christ in, into their life. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, a fantastic note that you put in here, Pat, is that, you know, your testimony can be used, um, for other people yeah. to bring, to help other people, uh, see Jesus. And, um, and so, you know, Saul's testimony is used. Our testimonies can be used. If you look at the disciples, a lot of them had like a three year or two year or one year, depending on when they started following Jesus and how long they were with him. Um, time of conversion. It wasn't all of a sudden, it wasn't like Jesus showed up and said, um, you're converted. You believe in me. He said, follow me. And they did, they followed him, but they didn't know what was going on. They didn't get it. Yeah. And it's going to take Saul a little bit of time to get it, but he has a very sharp conversion. Yeah. Um, and I think some people, some people have that. Some people have ones that take a little bit of time. Uh, a friend of mine always says, you know, it, t- it takes a long time. You know, you got to slow a train down before you, uh, before you make it change direction completely. Yeah. And, and I think there's something that's going on with that too, where, uh, for us to make a sharp turn in our lives, you know, God can do that. God can do anything. Uh, but a lot of the times we'll kind of sense a change in our hearts that'll happen over a season yeah. and not necessarily like Saul all at once. Although again, God works how God works. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe someone out there today, today's your day, you know, this is your sharp conversion moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be impressive and amazing. And God is going to grab you and not let you go. And you are going to make that change. Um, just like Saul today could be your day. I also just want to say that, um, we know through this passage that it's not the work of the men that were standing around and traveling with Saul that converted him. It was only God. And so that's encouragement too. If you feel like you don't have a big aha moment, a big conversion story, that's fine because it's not your story that's going to convert others. It's God and only God. That's right. That's right. That's why everyone's testimony and story is important. That's absolutely a hundred percent right. That God is the one who's going to do what God's going to do. And yes, your story is important. Uh, but it's not some kind of trick you can pull on someone to uh, to make them believe in God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pat, I, I love that. I know, you know, one thing that we worry about is we worry that church gets too boring. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you've, you know. And so a long time ago, people were like, man, you know, church is kind of boring. Let's spice it up somehow. Uh, you know, we should probably put in, you know, a bigger sound system. Yeah. Uh, or, or put in like, you know, get the best musicians we can get and, and maybe put in like some lights. We can get some laser beams going here. Uh, you know, put in the tractor beams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. In church. And let's, let's make it loud. Let's make it bright. Let's do what we can to, uh, uh, to make it seem important and big. And, you know, that stuff's cool because it's people using their creative abilities to make it happen. I have no problem with, with that necessarily in and of itself, but, uh, what is neat, and like you said, is God is going to do amazing things. Yeah. And it doesn't matter uh, how big the sound system is or how bright the lights are or how amazing your musicians are in church service uh, because we're connected to the Lord. Yeah. And we see here he puts on a pretty great light show and has a pretty strong voice. 
uh, and has a pretty good sermon just to just to Saul, and it changes the course of history. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, God is at every worship service that happens. God is at work. Every time people get together for a small group to talk about church, God is at work. And God was at work in Saul's life, and he's at work in your life too. Amen. <laughs>